Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade parts used with permission. And here he is. Hi, guys. That's it's Paul White. Jason Duda, good nice to meet you. Dudes. Good to see you again. Thanks, guys. Did you just call him Dudes? I said, yeah, I did say Dudes, actually. Because that's his nickname. Is it really? His last name is Duda. Oh. Absolutely. See, well, see, it comes naturally. Yeah, it does. What's it's up, easy. Dudes? And his nickname is Dudes. That's, that's amazing. Funny. This is Paul White. I'm going to have you throw your headset on because... I'm, tr- I'm trying, I'm trying. And I'm take trying. your time because... Uh, I, I still, I'm, I'm still laughing about Haley Tucker telling me I'm not seven feet tall. I don't know. Are you? Oh, my God. <laughs> <sighs> I've seen... You know what? Stand up. You two stand up and I'll I'm make the decision. Gonna, because, <laughs> Jeff, you're going to look like an idiot. In a minute. Right, right now, Paul, we have a special guest on the phone line for you. Okay. What oh. am I doing here? Hey, Paul. Hey. Bob? Hey, Paul. It's your, it's your old friend, Bob Lutz. Sorry. Hey, Bob. How are you, man? <laughs> I knew that was you. I recognize your voice. What a deal, man. How are you, buddy? I don't I'm doing great. I uh, We're very appreciative that you stopped by the studio. Can't wait for next Saturday night. Um, I do want to ask you, of course, I was a beat writer for Wichita State basketball when you played there. Right, and the, the team wasn't great, but you were uh, you were phenomenal, <laughs> and it was so much fun to cover you and those guys. Well, uh, when did when did it first enter your brain that professional wrestling could be a viable option for you? Well, I had two heavy influences at Wichita State <laughs> back then that told me I should consider professional wrestling. One of them was Xavier McDaniel. And the other one was a beat reporter for Wichita State University, a guy by the name of Bob Lutz. So, and you, you, you kind of scoffed at that originally, but you've been a natural for this. Well, from the time you were a kid, so UNX knew that sense. I, UNX knew that I had the talent to be a show off and uh, have enthusiasm, and I was a good athlete. So uh, that led into a great career in professional wrestling. I'm. I'm very happy that you guys saw something in me that I didn't see at the time, but it's funny how life turns out. Sometimes you just go, oh, yeah, that makes sense. But, you know, at 20 years old, it didn't make sense to me. I think I was the one who told Bob to tell you that, hey, this guy. So, oh, might... so it's... <laughs> shut up, Jeff. Yeah, not thank you very credit. much. Yeah, just tell hey, Jeff to shut up. This, <laughs> Paul, you might as well be here all the time because we say this like 20 times every show. <laughs> Here's the dynamic between Jeff and me. He's going to try to top me every time and always fail. Well, I mean, you know, it's kind of like the 
it's kind of like a bad Xerox copy of a fine piece of art. <laughs> you know, you're going to kind of get that's what it's supposed to you be. You too, Paul? But it's nothing like the original. It's nothing like the original. <laughs> I'm going to turn it over to Jason and Jeff. I'm right. really happy I got to say hi, Paul. Hey, I'll be back next week, so I want to make sure if you're feeling okay, if you have time, let's grab lunch or something. We'll go to Dog and Shake or something. <laughs> You know? that, would, that would be great. I'd love that. All right, my man. Hey, thank you so much for everything that you did for me early on and being kind and welcoming me to Wichita and, and making it fun. So thank you. See you, Paul. Thank you. Okay, buddy. You notice he couldn't even pull over to talk to you? He's out there driving. Hey, listen. I'm Jeff, looking, I'm, why I'm, do you got to do this all, all the time? First of all, you know, I can't believe that you even had share the same DNA. <laughs> Let's go there, all right? And I'll ask you why we should probably have a talk with the mailman. <laughs> but no, I would never disparage your mom like that. I'm sorry. Um, that just went bad south real quick. It's no, okay. Um, no, um, Bob's a great, great person and was really good to me in a, a tough time for a young man. And he was always positive and, um, you know, he's a good dude. I mean, you know, he's your dad. You get it. So I mean, just, uh, it's just nice for me to come back this time and then have that flashback and, you know, I'm having so many good memories and, and fun times and goofy conversations and stuff. And it's just... It's nice. It really is. It's nice to revisit that. He just mentioned, or you just mentioned to him, that he's someone who saw the quote-unquote talent, and obviously you have talent. I'm not putting it in quotes because you don't have talent. Uh, but you do have a lot of talent. Why were you so good? Why are you so good at professional wrestling? I have no idea. Honestly, <laughs> I think the difference is I am good for the time. at seven foot over 400 pounds. Uh, I can say that unabashedly with total humility, I am probably one of the best giants to ever lace up a pair of wrestling no boots. And I mean that humbly as far as things I could do in the ring, the things I did for other talent. It's not about just being big and being an attraction. It's about also making other talent. I have worked with so many people that I've helped them along their way in their careers. To, I was that mountain they had to conquer. I was that, that thing they had to overcome. And I'm proud of that fact. But as far as athletes go... There's so many tremendous athletes in pro wrestling. Like, you have to have a good athletic background in some shape or form. Just the, And then you got to have the showmanship. I mean, I was always a show-off and attention seeker. And I was in, you know, my dad used to call it an I-me complex. Like, I wanted to, <laughs> I-me, I-me, I-me. Everybody see me, see me, see me. It wasn't difficult. And no. my, but my dad was just the opposite. My dad was this very quiet calm guy that you know everybody thought was a federal agent or a cop because he never said anything i'm like no he's a mechanic he's he's not a cop i swear to guys really he's not a cop you know but but don't bring up weed around him. no i'm just kidding fair enough <laughs> paul i i'm curious on how did you go from like how did you get into wrestling did you have to go to a camp did someone just find oh, you, you know, I, I i like i'd like to know that story on how you got there dudes it's it's crazy because <laughs> I, it's such a series of events. It's almost like a timeline. Uh, Scott Thompson come into Wichita State, just for the Wichita fans here. A um, lot happened. Lost my grandfather, lost my dad. Coach Cohen passed, uh, got fired. Um, didn't like the new coach. That happens in athletics sometimes. Great guy, just you just don't jive with no, him. No, I understand. So um, I tried to figure out what I was going to do in my life. I was selling cars at Rusty Act Ford. I was bouncing at the Cowboy Worked some at the uh, Chicago Cab Company a couple of times. <laughs> sold chemicals for state chemical manufacturing. I had a buddy of mine who's executive VP at Renner Center. And Renner Center had bought all this great karaoke equipment back in the day. Like in like professional-grade speakers and stands and players and software. But nobody, people weren't renting it. 
Right. I mean, it was just too much for them to take in. You know, like the portable karaoke boombox everybody gets. Okay, plug play. Here we go. So they sold all that equipment to a guy in Chicago who was named Jim Strouser, who owned Jesco Karaoke in Chicago, was the nation's largest karaoke distributorship. So he came down to buy the equipment, pennies on the dollar. John knew that I needed a job to make money. So he says, hey, I can get you a job, 50 bucks a day loading equipment. I said, I'm in. I just pushed a little forklift, you know, load pallets. Right. No problem. Wrap stuff in plastic, load it on a semi, no problem. Thank you for the opportunity. I met this Jimmy guy who was a fast talker, self-made businessman. He was one of those guys that would literally talk himself into anything. You know, Chicago, <laughs> yeah. like, like get shorty. For, I thought John Travolta from Get Shorty, I thought he had met Jimmy somewhere because they were the same guys. <laughs> like, they dressed the same. The only difference was instead of loafers like, like uh, uh, Travolta had in Get Shorty, Jimmy had steel-toed covered cowboy boots. Nice. But same dress, sport coat, T-shirt, slacks, everything. The same dude. So uh, Jimmy had a morning drive radio station, a morning drive thing on Danny Bonaducci's show where people would come in and sing karaoke. And I met Danny Bonaducci, who uh, had a charity basketball game against Hulk Hogan and Mr. T. Because back then, there wasn't the internet. There wasn't all these right. so there was yeah. I bought Kurt Henning... A few drinks at the, uh, um, Walter Payton's bar in Chicago to try to get a number to go to a training school. He says, I'm going to go to the bathroom. When I come back, I'll give you the number to Brad Riggins' school. He left. <laughs> Years <laughs> later, when I made it in WCW, he goes, Oh, I see you made it. <laughs> you know, one of those kind of things. Uh, there was a chance to go to Europe and wrestle for a guy named Otto Vance who uh, liked big guys, and I would live in Europe and live in these little caravans and wrestle every night and train as I wrestled. And I was like, I was, I didn't want to go to Europe. Like, I, like I was right. scared. I didn't know. Yeah, like, you don't know what, what you're going to come yeah. home without a kidney or something. Like, <laughs> like you know, you hear all the horror stories. Like, I have no money. I have nothing going on. So it was hard to to get in because getting into wrestling back then it was a very strict family, and uh, you had to know somebody to get in. And it was funny. Danny introduced me to Hogan. The first time I met Hogan, I did the worst thing possible, but it worked out for me. I impersonated him. Because wrestlers, <laughs> wrestlers that have character, everybody tries to impersonate them. Of course. After a while, it gets old. Right. You know what I mean? But here's me, 21 years old. Let me tell you something, brother. I've been to the top of the mountain, dude. And Hogan's, <laughs> Hogan's eyes got real big, and I think, oh, God, maybe I shouldn't have done that. Because, you know, I'm like, I just, I just cut my foot off. You right. Know? He loved it, thought it was great, and... Um, you know, he introduced me to Eric Bischoff and, and Ric Flair, and then October, this was in like December of 94, October of 95, my first match was Hulk Hogan, and I walked home with a world title. <laughs> That's pretty impressive. That. Yeah, it's really a crazy story when you think about it, because I skipped so many things that so many other guys do, but and I didn't understand why at the time, but looking back now with almost 30 years of experience, I get it. Here's this seven-foot kid that's a tremendous athlete who can do moonsaults, who can do drop kicks, who has a crazy personality, who understands, who isn't ego-driven about wins, and lo- that understands entertainment, about who grew up as a fan. Like th- That's a one-in-a-million athlete to find it. That wasn't, you know, dare I say this, that wasn't oddly looking, you know, that was built proportionally. So, yeah, anybody that knows anything about wrestling can see that, oh, there's an opportunity if the kid's half-assed got a good head on his shoulder, then there's money to be made with him for the right. promotion and the other talent. So 
I didn't know that then. I just, I, I honestly didn't know how long I was going to have a job for it. I just thought it was great. You well, know? it's lasted a long time. I did. I, I last through attrition. I tell everybody now, every now and then I show up on TV and people are excited. I'm, I'm like Snake Plissken from Escape from New York. They're, <laughs> they're happy I'm still alive. <laughs> now you're starting to be like Bob talking about these old movies. Have we? Hey, man, you know, Bob's got good movie taste. And he if must. You, let me get, if you spend a little time and looked at some of those old, older movies, you might learn something. Jeff won't watch any older movies. I will if he tells me to. Oh, he, but he when I tell you, I mean, we're, we're what, three, four years apart? But yeah. you won't uh, listen about, to him, but not guess, me. You were first in line for the Barbie movie, right? Yeah, <laughs> you, there you got go. that right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, I want to ask you a million questions, but I know, we, I know we can't. But well, what do we got? We got time. What do you got? Fire, fire away. Uh, you turned from bad guy to good guy so many times right. that I, ha- I started feeling like the, you had to know they were in on it. You were, everybody was in on it, and you, were got, you guys in WWE I'm talking about at the time were just pulling one over on the fans. You no, know, there's a thing called being, um, and it's what gave me such a long career. Listen, I was never as good as an Undertaker. I was never as good as a Kane. I was never going to be a Rock or Stone Cold or a John Cena or Chris Jericho. I think you were at least as good as Kane. I completely disagree. I think (laughs) Kane is one of the greatest big men of all time. Not giant, big men. (laughs) Uh, I mean, there's a a few collections of giants that I'm pulling from. That's why I can talk all that crap. (laughs) Like, you know, Giant Silva, you know, Andre, of course, would be number one and then the other giants. Haystacks well. Calhoun or something well, like that? I don't know if Haystacks was a giant. I don't, don't think Haystacks was, was. I'm talking about the seven-foot range. Okay. Like, so that's why it's a limited category that I can say I'm really good at, you know. <laughs> like, there's only three of us, and damn it, I'm in the top three. <laughs> but um, uh, the, the, the thing was for me is I could fill a role in the company. Because after a while, once you're established and once you, you've made your mark, then it's up to you to make the company draw money and make the other talent. You want to build talent around you and create compelling storylines. So for me, good guy to bad guy was just, I could do that. The greatest, the easiest story for me to tell is to be a giant and work with a smaller talent. It's in our brains. It's in our DNA of, of overcoming famine, disease, wars. Everybody's had a bully that's been bigger than them, that's terrorized them. It's, not, you know, the sayings. It's not the size of the dog in the fight, but the size of the fight in the dog. It's easy to make that emotional connection for the audience when you see this big monster beating up on a smaller guy, it makes sense. It's easier to tell that story. Then on the other hand, I got a goofy, fun personality. I'm a nice guy. I can wave to the fans. Uh, people know that I have a good heart. So then it's okay to like me. So that's why there were so many flip-flops because I had to fill multiple roles in the company depending on what talent I was working with and where we were going as a company. Um, you know, like I went to Vince one time about T-shirts. And I'm like, hey, you know, uh, one of the, he says, I don't pay you to sell T-shirts. I pay you to get other talent over. Okay, so I can't get any, okay. Um, <laughs> and he gave me one T-shirt idea, and I never asked him again, but unfortunately it was my best-selling T-shirt was the real big show with the arrow pointing down. Oh, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> that was Vince McMahon's idea. And I was like... I should have known. I was like, yeah, yeah, I guess I don't want to sell T-shirts. That's, <laughs> that's, a little, that's a little bit much for me. You know, I mean, I'm still from South Carolina. I mean, I'm a small-town kid, so that was a little, a little bit much for me. But I'm happy about it. I mean, it kept me employed. It kept me... I got to work with some of the greatest talents business has ever seen. I'm not complaining at all. I call it being employable. You know, maybe I would be like... The uh, take a take a motto from the U.S. Marine Corps: uh, adapt and overcome. So I had to do a lot of adapting. I yeah. had to ask Vince one night. I said, "Am I smiling or frowning?" 
<laughs> and he had to think of me, smiley. I'm like, okay. Because <laughs> when I come down the ramp, that was my demeanor. Like, I, like we were working so much, and I was literally flip-flopping so much, I didn't know if I was a good guy or a bad guy. <laughs> I feel like, uh, you know, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but there, there came a point in your career where maybe the giant thing mattered less and the work mattered more because, like, you, you could have a big man match with Mark Henry and it was good. You could have a medium-sized man with, with John Cena or even smaller, Cody Rhodes or Rey Mysterio, and all these matches were good. Thank you. Um, when did that? Uh, when did you start to recognize that? Hey, I'm I'm not I, I'm not only an attraction here. I can actually kind of go. When I quit listening to what everybody else wanted me to be, that was the toughest part of my career trying to figure out in the beginning because the one phrase I heard from everybody: "Be a giant, be a giant." Okay, well I looked that up in the dictionary, and there's no info on that <laughs> because to be a giant wasn't employable enough because either I ate up an opponent or I didn't sell, I wasn't very exciting or I was very, it was hard to be what everyone thought and everybody had their own opinion on a giant. I was athletic. I could move. I was aggressive. Um, I had been in fights before, so I actually know how to throw a punch and I know how to get irritated and beat somebody up. I know how to translate that energy. Well, if you're bouncing at the cowboy, yep. Well, <laughs> gotta be quick on your toes. Well, so could have been me. <laughs> <laughs> I doubt it. So, so the thing was, is um, I had to to take a page, and where it finally clicked with me was circa. Actually, where it really clicked with me was circa two thousand eight, working with Stone Cold in Europe. Um, we were on a tour, and we wrestled every night for about ten days straight, and uh, and um, Vince wanted Steve to put me over in a non televised match in London to create some hype because I was going to eventually start working with Brock. And uh, I remember Steve spitting in the cup and with his dip, and he goes, I don't know, Vince. These people paid a lot of money to see Stone Cold Steve Austin hit a few stunners, drink a few beers, <laughs> not do a job to the friggin' big show. And I'm, st <laughs> I'm standing there. It's almost like he dismissed me like wow. I was a piece of trash. You know what I mean? And I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, dude, you know I can, like, grab you by the ankle and beat you into the side <laughs> of the building, like, you know. And uh, what clicked for me in the match is, is, is because uh, he got under my skin and got me a little bit fired up, is I was early in my career always waiting for someone else to initiate what we were doing. I was waiting for them, and, you know, the business is what it is, but I was waiting for them to call something. But here's the thing that I learned. Most guys, regular-sized guys, no one's ever worked with someone my size, so they don't know. Right. So until I figured out, okay, I don't need anybody to call anything for me, and I pretty much can do what I want when I want at the speed I want because I'm in charge, period. <laughs> that Unless, would be my uh, thought if you and I were in the ring. <laughs> well, but you have to have the confidence and the understanding to take over, and it's not just taking over so you get all your stuff in. I mean, I've had matches with guys. I mean, I had to wrestle Sting one time, and, and it was supposed to be a 12-minute match, and he was coming back to WWE, and we were so excited because we had worked together in WCW, and we had a lot of stuff planned, and the time got cut. So I had to go out and literally give Sting a win in three minutes. Wow. And I did. And it was fine, and we rolled on, and it was because that was my job. It, that's the thing you have to learn is what's your asset to the company, what asset are you as a talent. And that's how you either make a, a good bit of money for a short amount of time because your ego gets in the way, or you make a good bit of money for a long time because you take your ego out of it, and you you work to your strengths of what you bring to the table. And I knew that me bringing the table was 
If I'm working a baby face, I'm aggressive, I stay on them. When it's time for them to fire up, I sell and I take their finish. Everybody gets paid, nobody gets hurt, and everybody's happy. Yeah, but that's got to be tough because you got to run into a lot of guys in, in that situation that no. the ego's right there, or, no. or has it been pretty good they don't, throughout they don't, the years? They don't last in the professional format if they have that ego. And that's that's where I was going with that. No, they don't last. They might come in and they might, you know, my favorite thing is is when young guys are coming in, they get, they're getting wins. They go, oh, I love the business. I love the business. I've loved this since I was a kid. I'm like, yeah, you love it now. Because you're getting W's. Give it a minute. Yeah. <laughs> Give it a couple of years and 250 days a year for about five years and the bumps and the bruises and, you know, you haven't gotten a victory in like two years. Then tell me how much you love the business. You still love it then? I'll listen to you. Right now, you're green behind the ears and you don't know what you're talking about. And what did Miz say when you told him that? Miz? No. <laughs> no, Miz is, it's funny. I hate Miz the character, but Mike, I have absolutely respect for. Because yeah. Mike is a hard-working individual who caught a lot of grief in the beginning from the fans, even from, from some talent in the locker room, gave Miz a hard time. He never complained. He worked his ass off every time, and he was up for anything that the company asked him. Yes. Whether he looked silly, whether he looked stupid, whether he looked good, whether he looked bad, it didn't matter because Miz got it upstairs. It's entertainment. When you walk through that curtain, then you're your character. Once you walk back through that character, character the, the curtain, you're who you are as a person. Like when I go home, I am not this wrestling international superstar. I'm the guy that takes out the trash. You know, I'm the guy that sometimes misses the laundry basket and refuses to pick up that sock. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Aren't we all? <laughs> I'm not like, if I leave it there, she'll get it later because she can't stand it. So that's too far a trip for me to bend over. <laughs> you know, and she'll call me out. Oh, too far to bend over, old man. I said, I didn't see it. Yeah. I, didn't, I didn't see it. That's my excuse for everything. I, I didn't see that. You know, but it, that's the thing that when you really will embrace. And, and all your great talents that I think that I've known over the years that were incredible stars on television and worldwide stars also understood that it's not who they were. Their humility outside of the ring is what made Sting, icon, one of the most humble, incredible, hardworking individuals you ever met. Super humble, super chill, open to ideas, whatever you want to do. No ego whatsoever. But Sting also know who, knows who he is as a talent. And when he goes in the ring, he is Sting. And that's a hard line for some guys to get. And if they can't separate their friends at home, like I hated being a good guy and losing all the time. When we were building bigger stars that were, were heels and we were building bad guys. Because they're like, oh, well, can't you just, like, why, why are you losing? Because that's the job. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, uh, my ego feels a lot better when I get that check every Friday. <laughs> I mean, you know, my ego quiets down real quick. No but, doubt. So it's not about ego. It's, it, and the thing is, if your ego comes into play too much, you have to have confidence, understand. But if your ego gets in the way, you're robbing the fans of a better performance. And you're also not helping your company or your brand. Because let's be honest, nobody really remembers. If you're lucky and you have a long enough career, people remember key things that they remember, things that emotionally invested in, whether it was breaking the ring like we talked about or, or something emotionally, an angle or a promo. Like, but they don't remember wins and losses. Wins and losses to me don't matter. Uh, if you base your entire career on your wins and loss record, then odds are you probably weren't very good anyway because that's all you have.
We're talking with uh, Paul White, and you're not just here uh, driving through Wichita. You are actually here to uh, talk about AEW. Yes. Uh, All Elite Wrestling coming. You might want to do my job, right, Jeff? Right. You might, you might. I don't know. See, Wait. Bob wouldn't let me get off track. You did. Just <laughs> that, saying. You're, you're probably right about that. He's a consummate <laughs> professional. So AEW Collision coming here on November 4th. Interest Bank Arena, that's next Saturday. Tell us about AEW and uh, your involvement there. AEW, well, it's our. we've been around a few years now. We're on TNT and TBS. Five, right, almost? Yeah, almost five years. Great program. Our, our owner and our boss is Tony Khan from the Khan family. They own the Jacksonville Jaguars, Fulham Soccer Club. Very successful. So as a talent, you feel comfortable because there is real money behind the promotion. Sure. Tony's a huge fan. Uh, very in-depth fan, and we're given a true-to-the-core pro-wrestling fan-type product. There's there's not as much pageantry and and BS, so to speak, and I mean that BS politely. We're, we're at the core of wrestling. We're, we, you know, we have a lot of stars from New Japan Pro Wrestling that a lot of people in America don't get to see. We have a great relationship with them. We're bringing some of those guys over. They're just fantastic styles to see, fantastic talents. We have a lot of young talent. We have some faces that you've seen before, but we have a lot of authentic talent. And that's the best way I can describe it is authentic because these guys and gals that have promos, and that's them doing the promo. That's like years ago. No one told Ric Flair how to cut a promo. Right. No one's telling MJF how to cut a promo either. You know, it's authentic. There's not some writer that hands you a sheet of paper that is five foot eight and has, you know, never been in a fight in his life, and he's telling you how to be a giant, you're like, okay, I'm seven foot tall, I'm 500 pounds. Yeah, I know how big I am. Why am I telling him? Why does everybody in WWE say their names first <coughs> in their promos? Because it's there's a, there's a logic behind that, too. When you're building a brand, it's just repeat the brand, repeat the brand, repeat the brand, and that's an intellectual property that WWE owns. So every time that you repeat that brand, um, you're reinstilling that in the fans' minds. Like, you know, WWE has a thing against pronouns. No he or she. Right. It's all the character name because it's the character and the brand that they're billing. Just like if you're selling Pepsi-Cola or Coca-Cola, whatever you're – or Diet Dr. Pepper. You see, you don't say soda, this is a Diet Dr. Pepper. Or cola, this is a, you know, whatever you're doing. So I understand that, um, but I think sometimes it becomes a little uh, – a little uh, – uh, cookie cutter corporate because everybody stands here. Here's your ring entrance pose. Here's your ring entrance. Here's your ring. Here's your your break before you get to the match where your pose. Here's your outfit. It's not as authentic like you know. Some of the old times back in the day, what made wrestling fun is you had two guys that came down there or two gals that came down there. The bell rang and they went at it, and that's what you wanted to see. You didn't want to hear all the the rigmarole backstage and all the fourth wall stuff. It was just the talent, their interview time, and then the matches in the ring. And I think that it's, you know, it's done well. I mean, it's got an audience, that's for sure. I mean, we sold out 80,000 tickets in Wembley just on brand alone. So yes. it's working. It's just more of the hardcore roots of what professional wrestling is, which is telling the story in the ring, not telling all these stories outside of the ring and then giving you a little bit of match time and still not giving you a finish. Yeah. You know, in AEW, they do a really good job about giving you a finish. You know, there's going to be a win, there's going to be a loss, and if there's not a win or a loss, there's a reason as to why that makes sense. Not just they want to drag it out till next week. Before we, before you go, AW, your world champion, you mentioned him, MJF. Right. Unbelievable. He's so, so good. Such a great talent. He's why a, is he, he that good? I asked you why, why you were so good. Why is he that good? He's that good because he gets it. 
I mean, he was a fan as a kid. He was a he has the talent and the chops from being a Broadway singing star. I don't know if you guys know this. MJF was a child star on Broadway. I saw the Rosie O'Donnell clip. Okay, I didn't know like, it, what the between in between was there. But here's the thing: he's a wrestling fan, and he loves the old school wrestling. And when you see MJF, he's watching old school stuff. I mean, old school stuff from the '80s, the Attitude Era, and the '90s. The being the character, and MJF is a very intelligent. He's a great kid, hard worker, but he's also he's got a little cockiness to him. Why wouldn't he? At his huh. age, so he translates that through. To me, in a way, kind of like, and there's only going to ever be one Ric Flair, let's be honest. In my mind, he's one of the greatest promo guys, legendary promos. But you could hate Ric Flair, but you still could enjoy his promos. Right. MJF, people love what he has to say. They might not agree with it. They might hate him. But he's entertaining as hell to watch his promos because they feel authentic. And I think that's one of the things that, because he gets it, it makes him unique and such a, such a blessing and an asset for AEW. Well, you've been hanging around with me for about an hour now. You probably yeah, I'm about ready to cut my wrist. I, you know. <laughs> I'm surprised you haven't. <laughs> that was dark, but I like it. Uh, we appreciate it, Paul. As we mentioned, uh, AW Collision coming to Interest Bank Arena November 4th. You will be here. Yes. And uh, we can't wait. The crowd will see you. When you were at Subway this morning, how many people had said, hey, that's Paul White, or hey, that's the big show? You know, it's funny. Sometimes, you know, as I got my double turkey because I'm watching my calories, um, <laughs> Sometimes people are afraid to say hi. Yeah. But you can feel them staring and, you know, or, you know, surreptitiously the phone will come out. And <laughs> then they'll forget they have the sound on. You'll hear the click of the phone. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's all good. I mean, you know, if you see me out, say hi. Uh, nine times out of ten, unless I'm, I'm hauling butt for a flight in the airport, uh, I'll be happy to talk to you and say hi. Well, man, we appreciate it. Thanks for coming by. And Thanks by for being way, a good I was sport. Only, I was only teasing your leg about my wrist. I'm very happy to spend the day with you. you know, <laughs> it's okay. It is dark humor, but, you know, I'm that, old, I love so. That's what we do on this show. I know. I just don't want anybody to th think that, you know, that, well, big show. No, Paul White, no. No, I'm, I'm Paul good. White I'm dead good. at 51 after spending an hour with Jeffrey Luce. That's yeah. that's not the headline we want. No, we don't want that headline. No, we don't. We don't. We want to... We want to say that Paul White had a lovely... You guys life. are both dying today, it yeah, sounds I'm like. Like, I'm like. I'm not sure where this interview wow. went well, to. Well, we can say it's Halloween. We're having fun. There you go. There Hall you go. Or Halloween mor morbidity. Anyway, uh, no, thank you. It's good seeing you again, and, and obviously thank you for letting your dad talk to me, and thank you guys for having me on the show, and I hope during this wacky interview, I hope we've piqued some interest in people who uh, have a chance to come out and see AEW. Yeah. Have, make a memory. That's the thing in today's world. What can you do where you can make a memory with your friends and family? And AEW is a memory you won't forget. That's beautiful. Thanks, man. AEW, as he said, coming November 4th, uh, live television taping of their show Collision, which airs on Saturdays on TNT. Paul White, thanks, man. Hey, thank you, Jeff. Thank you, guys. Man. Dudes, yeah. man. thank you, baby. Good to meet you, man. Thank you. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one... They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.